counsel people on individual problems, marriage problems, relationship problems, you know, addictions and all of those things, and those are necessary. But ultimately, if you never help that person mature in Christ, are they gonna be able to be self-sustaining and, and live in the victory that Christ has provided us? And in my opinion, as a pastor, with the experience I've seen, if you don't help them mature, you're gonna to have to spoon feed them the rest of their life. And, and that doesn't that doesn't usually lead to a healthy relationship between a pastor and the congregation. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to transition your church to a discipleship model. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different than we typically do. Uh, we're not going to be necessarily working through a particular topic, but we do want to uh, talk to pastors, uh, especially in this episode. Uh, so if you are a pastor of a church or thinking about pastoring a church in the future, this may be something that you end up having to deal with uh, in the future. And that is the idea of transitioning your church from where it is to modeling your church through discipleship. And uh, and it's, it is a different thing, and there's some things that you're going to run into. I have to put this disclaimer out there. I am a missionary on deputation, and I have never pastored a church as of yet. So this isn't something that I have personal experience doing. And so that is why I am going to be uh, the student here, and I'm going to let the, the wise sage, Pastor Stewart, uh, talk to you guys about that. He's shaking his head because he says it's not true. Um, but I'm going to let, I'm going to, just going to talk to him because he does have experience doing this and, uh, being a pastor, he took a church that was not modeled after the church of discipleship. Good church, good church. Um, but it was not modeled after this particular model. And this is something that he felt like the Lord wanted him to do. And so he transitioned his church that way. And so, uh, pastor Stewart, if you're ready, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and, uh, start asking you some questions and we'll go from there. Sure. All right. So the first question I have is this, um, how was the church that you are currently at previously set up to function? Uh, not obviously not, not functioning through discipleship, but how was it set up to function before you got there? I would characterize the church as your typical American Baptist church that uh, really focused on the pulpit ministry on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Uh, also ministered through uh, Sunday school ministries and then uh, children's ministries that would function sometimes on Sunday night and Wednesday nights as well. But uh, really, you know, had some outreach uh, through, you know, coats and, and other drives that we would do to try and help the poor and the needy, but uh, really was a heavy concentration on ministering from the pulpit in the church building and uh, ministry in those regards. Mm-hmm. You're right. And that's, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it is different than what we've spent so many weeks now talking about through discipleship or fun teaching people, basically your church is organized to function through your discipleship uh, platform. And I know personally, the churches that I've always been in are, are set up to function through the Sunday school. And, uh, and that works. It definitely works. And, uh, and it, and you can even integrate discipleship into your current layout of everything being set up through Sunday school. And that would, that would work fine. Um, but you know, it, it is a different, a totally different idea, I think, for a lot of people to try and set up their church to function through discipleship. Um, so you're saying you took, you, when you took the pastorate of the church that you're at now, 
there was no groundwork for discipleship. Is that essentially what you're getting at? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So when you came to pastor that church, what was the attitude about discipleship when you began to bring that up? I think it was mostly just they didn't know. They didn't understand. I mean, they understood the word because it's used in Scripture, and I'm sure it's been preached and talked about the disciples this and the disciples that. But as far as a model by which to accomplish the Great Commission uh, and to see each and every believer matured into Christ's likeness, I don't believe that they uh, they had an understanding of that. Okay. And um, do you, to your knowledge, was there anybody in the church that had been previously discipled, like what you're talking about? Um, no. Uh, there was a guy that the church indirectly was supporting, and his idea of discipleship was that he travels around the uh, region and disciples individuals from different churches but it was there was no real local church authority with that, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't the model that, that God had showed me, and so it was much different. And there was a lot of what I saw was some deficiencies in it. But that's what the church, I guess, had accepted as discipleship, and and they were at a, a very small level supporting that. Okay, and that's interesting because that's not something that I've ever heard of having been done as a ministry. Uh, so did, did, I guess this guy probably classified himself as an evangelist or something, right? Well, he was kind of a freelance discipler. And, uh, when I would get reports back from him, he was discipling people from all different faiths, uh, all different religions and didn't seem to really have a grasp of, of doctrine himself, yeah. uh, to be able to discern between what was right doctrine and wrong doctrine. And there just were a lot of problems with that model, and I, but that's that's what they were supporting at a, at some level, a small level, but that's what they were supporting as discipleship. Okay, so you you've come in and you're a a fairly new pastor to this church, right? And correct, you've come in and you have a different idea about the organization of the church than what's been previously there. You have a different idea about what discipleship than what was previously there. And so there's going to be some different ideas about um, the reception to that. When you begin to impress this idea of discipleship to the congregation and you begin to teach this what it is, what was the reception to that from the congregation? My, and let me answer this question to try and lead to that answer. Uh, my approach was and I had determined that the first year I was here, I was going to learn what this church was doing, why they were doing it, where they were doing it, how they were doing it. I did not come in to immediately disrupt or turn over the apple cart. I came right. to find out, okay, what is the church doing? If it's if it meets with the model that God has taught me and it and it functions within the uh authority of the word of God, then there's no need for me to change anything. So I did not come right. in looking to to uh, abrupt or to make major changes. Although I was not naive to think that those probably were not, there was going to need to be some changes. I wanted to do it very intentionally and very uh, discreetly. So I made it a point that I, and I, I told the, uh, the deacons and those that were helping and, and the leadership of the church in the absence of a pastor 
Uh, we're going to leave the calendar the same for this next year. We're not going to really change anything. Uh, I've, I made very few changes in the first year. Probably the biggest change the body saw was just simply how I preach and what I preached. Mm -hmm. uh, and, the, and not that it was different from the previous pastor because he preached the scripture, but I started to preach and teach the truths of the Great Commission. And in just naturally doing that, the term discipleship started to come out. Right. And I started to educate God's people as to what God wants us to do in the matter of seeing to it that every individual is developed and matured into a Christ-likeness and started to share those principles with them. At the meantime, I, there were some young men and some others in the church that and I would approach individually and say, hey, we have discipleship. We'd like to teach it to you. Would you be interested? And there was a handful that was interested. Mm -hmm. And and I just told them, basically, it's, you know, I'll come alongside you, make sure you understand and know the scriptures in a very intentional way so that you can grow and mature in your walk with the Lord. And there was three or four people, that men that were willing to do that. So I just started discipling people. And, the, and what happens is with me teaching these things from the pulpit, without making much change to the the schedule of the services or the other things that are going on, the people started noticing some of these people uh, changing, maturing, and they started to recognize that God is doing something in these people's heart and in their life. And so others desired it as a result of that, and we were able to see some massive adjustment, not necessarily in the corporate calendar or in the schedule of services and those kind of things, uh, those ended up taking time to, to see adjustments in. But the groundwork for discipleship, because you can only disciple when you've been discipled. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be discipled. I needed to be discipled. And when we've been discipled and that example has been set, now I can follow that example and take it to the lives of others. And that's when you start to see them grow, and then when they start growing, then they start wanting to disciple others as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the big problem and the big hurdle we had was those that had been discipled that had been in church for a long time, which is the first round of who I discipled, was the biggest hurdle was getting them to want to go out and witness to others because they wanted me to give them disciples. And it's like, no, Christ, yeah, Christ right. will give you a disciple. You go win that person to the Lord and now you have somebody to disciple. So mm -hmm. I can't really give you ministry. I need. I can give you the tools to go do it, but I can't actually give you those to disciple. You need to go get those on your own. So you had to break down some old bad habits, is what you're saying? Yeah, we get lazy when we don't. When we when this is not how we're starting. I'm excited about seeing these new believers that God has given us recently. And because the, they're not going to know anything different, they're going to think, right. "Hey, you get saved, you get discipled, you go and win other people," and that, hopefully that will become the pattern. But that's that's one of the big hurdles that when you take a church that that isn't the pattern, and that isn't the focus, and there's no intentionality towards that, it's not going to just happen overnight. It's not going to happen because the pastor wants us to be doing these things mm -hmm. we need to set the example and help them to see it and it's not just us going door to door or it's not just us being a soul winner personally but it's also 
winning those people to the Lord and, and introducing them to Christ and leading them to him and then discipling them so that this the complete process takes place, not just the beginning of it. So what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you didn't come in with a wrecking ball and break the whole place down, but you used the avenue that the people were already used to receiving truth from, and that was the pulpit ministry. And you used that ministry as an avenue to teach them the truth of discipleship and its function in the Great Commission and its function in the church. And then... At what point did you take that truth and begin to offer the, the, the idea of being discipled to the congregation? It, I don't remember exactly. Um, it, that was one of those things where the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit's leadership needed to be there. Mm-hmm. But I imagine it was probably six months or so when I would be teaching about it. Or, and, and I didn't set out. I didn't, and there was not a series on discipleship. Right. Uh, these things came out, and as you look in the Word of God, the Great Commission is everywhere. Right. Um, the references to it, the uh, allusions to it, the pictures of it, the types of it. And so whenever I would see the Great Commission in a passage of Scripture, and we'd be going through a series. Early on, I did a series on Revelation. Um, but Jesus Christ is all throughout Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so... The Great Commission is all throughout it, and so whenever I would see that, and when the Holy Spirit would give me liberty to mention it, I would then mention that, hey, we have a way to uh, disciple you if you'd like to learn and and grow in your walk with the Lord. So it would just come out in the messages. I wouldn't have it written in my notes. I wouldn't plan it out. But these would be the times where the Lord would allow me to give an offering, an opportunity to offer it to somebody. If I saw somebody that was uh, a relationship developing between me and a, a gentleman in the church, uh, and you know they would come to me with a need, uh, most of my counseling, uh, I may counsel them on whatever that need is, but ultimately the need is they need to be able to be mature in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that means they need to be discipled because most of the time, most people you meet are not discipled. They've not been taught and trained in right. How you know, like we talked about in uh, a couple episodes ago, when we talked about the necessities and and the intentionality. Uh, so those are you know, you know those are things that most have not gotten in an intentional way, and that was what they needed. And so, you know, you can counsel people on individual problems, marriage problems, relationship problems, you know, addictions, and all of those things, and those are necessary. But ultimately, if you never help that person mature in Christ, are they going to be able to be self-sustaining and and live in the victory that Christ has provided us? And in my opinion, as a pastor, with the experience I've seen, if you don't help them mature, you're going to have to spoon feed them the rest of their life. And and that that doesn't usually lead to a healthy relationship between a pastor and the congregation. Yeah, and I think we could save ourselves a lot of time counseling (laughs) if— If the congregation had been discipled from the get-go properly, you know? Sure. Um, but that that's really good, and I think that's helpful. I know that this particular episode may be angled more towards pastors or future pastors um, that are going to have to deal with this, but that transition, I think, that you're talking about is not a transition where you've said, this is the direction that we're going to go now, this is why... And you bring out a bunch of scriptures and beat people over the back of the head with it, you know. And, and I think that's sure. that's important because you're you're giving respect to those that came before that pastored the church before, 
and you're giving respect to the fact that the people in the congregation do know some truth. So you're not sure. telling them all, you've done all this wrong, and now I'm going to come in and fix everything, you know? And sure. it's not coming in as arrogant. It's just beginning to teach the truth. And as people understand the truth, it's almost as if they came to you. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, that was the goal. What I was looking for was, I'm going to teach the truth to the point where they understand it. And then I was looking for them to come to me and say, Pastor, why are we doing such and such this way? And my question is, well, that's a good question. Why are we doing it that way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then ask them, well, God says to do it this way, and we're doing it that way. Well, then what do we need to do? And then let them facilitate the change. Has that happened that clearly, that explicitly? No. What has happened in a lot of things is people that just didn't agree with the direction that the Lord was leading me and how he had taught me to minister, they ended up just not sticking around. And I hate that because I was hoping that most of, if not all of them, would have gotten on board and continued to do the work of the ministry the way God was leading us to do it. But that wasn't the case. And Mm -hmm. many just didn't agree. They didn't like it or they... Uh, whatever their motive was, whatever their purpose was, and they ended up not sticking around and not being with us anymore. And and that's unfortunate. I wish they would have stuck around and I wish they would have uh, followed because I was not leading for self-will. It wasn't what Brian Stewart wanted. Mm-hmm. I was leading as God had revealed to me in the scriptures and how he and his son had set things up. And we were trying to make sure that we were doing things according to his plan. And so there was no lording over people. There were decisions along the way that I had to set my foot down on, but I'm I'm talking maybe a handful over the course of six, seven years where it was like, no, we're going to need to establish this standard or something like that. And again, I wasn't setting up a standard of righteousness. I was just setting up in one case was a standard. If you're going to be in a, a leadership role, you need to be attending services regularly, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I don't think is an unreasonable expectation that you're to be an example. <laughs> right. Uh, you need to be here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but that wasn't something I did until probably four, four or five years after I was here. Again, my goal was to help people. I wanted to bring these people along. I wanted to bring everybody with us. Obviously, it's not always going to happen. Uh, and unfortunately, I mean, I would love for uh, a church that God calls a man to pastor that church. He gives that man a a ministry model and and a ministry uh, convictions, and then he's able to go in and and the people uh, get on board with him and follow him. Man, what a wonderful blessing that is. That's not always the case, and and sometimes there's some knockdown, drag-out fights, and unfortunately, we still, as pastor, need to conduct ourselves, not lording over them, but we do need to stand and contend for the faith, and we Mm -hmm. need to know where those lines are and where we aren't going to be able to compromise and where we can. There's a lot of things that, that uh, you know, I had to really examine. Hey, is this anti-scriptural or is this just anti-tradition that I've been taught? Yeah. And I had to answer a lot of those questions, and it wasn't easy. And I had to spend time searching the Lord's heart on the matter. And, and But he's the head of this church, and so if he's going to be the head, I need to know what, what he wants, not what I want. Yeah, and I think— while I've been on deputation, I've been in a, a good number of churches, and every church is in a different place. Uh, physically, spiritually, um, culturally, you know. A, a church in in deep south Georgia 
is going to have some things that are definitely different about it than a church that's in, in Indiana, you know? Um, and not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. Some of that's just cultural. But I'm, there there have been some things where I have sat and I, as the guest, you know, have sat through some stuff that I wouldn't like in my own church. And sure. there have some th- been some things that I've sat through and I've gone, huh, I wonder why they do that that way. It's not necessarily bad. It's not unscriptural. It's just not something that I've ever seen done before. I wonder why they do that that way. And there may be a good reason for it. You know, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting how the Holy Spirit shows different things to different people at different times. And he knows perfectly how to work through our lives and how to get all of that set up and what needs to be taught when. And I think there is, there has to be a certain amount of respect for that person just isn't there yet. Or maybe mm-hmm. that person's further along than I am, and I just don't understand why they do it that way. Um, and so you have to have some grace in that. And I think what I'm hearing from you, basically, is that you allowed for some things that you knew within yourself were not necessarily wrong, but they weren't the best. And sure. But you allowed for them until the people involved could have that Holy Spirit working in their heart to change some things for them. Is that is that right? Yes, sir. There were some traditions that the church uh, had and, and traditional uh, activities that we would do that uh, up until that point, I had had what I felt like was a conviction that this was not right. This wasn't this was not an activity that we as a church ought to participate in. But I allowed some of those to continue uh, and some of them continued for five, six, seven years and I was waiting for God to help the people that that was so important to, to see that this was, this had no value. This was vanity. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, it was some things that, you know, other pastors or other uh, believers might've come into the church and go, you know, why would that church be doing that? Um, it kind of reminds me when you said just a few minutes ago, it reminded me of a game I used to uh, kind of play in my own mind uh, when before I had ever pastored and when I was an assistant pastor and a youth pastor and I would go visit other churches or I would be in youth conferences or you know uh, different conferences with pastors and things and and I would play this game and it would be you know if I was pastor here what would I do uh, and then I would establish you know well I wouldn't it's have the curtains game. like that or you know this or that and my purpose was not to be demeaning or to be disrespectful to the pastor or the church that I was in, it was more of an exercise to cause me to think through, why are they doing this? Would I do that? Is this what God would have us to do? And what I realized was I was still playing that game after I'd been pastoring a church for about two years. And I'm walking around the church that God had given me to pastor. And I'm walking around going, you know, if I was pastor of this church, and then it dawns on me, yeah, I am the pastor, and why haven't I changed that? And it was because there was people that that needed to grow and mature and understand things before mm-hmm. I could just sit down and, and lower the boom on them and say, you know what, that's unrighteousness, that's un, that's wickedness, or that's wrong, and yeah. we don't need to do it that way. And there are some pastors that have, have led that way. I just don't see that in the characteristics, of, the 23 characteristics that God gives us that we're to be patient and we're to not lord over them, but we are to take oversight. Right. And, and and part of oversight is recognizing this isn't right. 
mm-hmm. but how am I going to fix this? Am I just going to make an edict? And do I need a papal bull? Or do I wait until I can teach them and, and, and hold them accountable to the things that God is teaching them and let the Holy Spirit change their heart on this? Because then what have I done? I've gained my brother. I haven't lost my brother in the process. And if I do lose him, at least I know I didn't lose him because I was being overbearing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my my goal and, and our goal, I think, as ministers, when we're helping a church to come to, I believe, a biblical model of ministry is it's it's key to be patient. And it's, it's going to be a long, slow process. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. And there's going to have to be a lot of changes. And, and some of the things that we think we need to change, sometimes we don't need to change them. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that we didn't recognize needed to change really do need to change. And so uh, just be careful. I would just say, you know, you need to handle it with kit gloves. And, and this is where walking with the Spirit comes in extremely uh, vital. Because if you're not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the head of the church, then why are you even functioning as the pastor? I think Paul speaks to that some too um, when he says that he became all things to all men. He wasn't saying that he began to do anything sinful. He was saying that in order to get the point across to some people, in order to win some people, he did some things that he didn't personally think were necessary. Um you know, he, he did some things like he's saying, okay, you know, you don't want to be a stumbling block or a rock of offense to somebody. If they have, if they take trouble with eating meat offered to sacrifices, then don't, you know? And, yeah. um, so uh, he was, I think he was saying in essence, you know, have, have grace with where the person is and understand where they are. And then take your actions based on an understanding of where they are. And that's not to say that if they're doing something that is overtly wrong to just ignore it. But what it is to say is how do you deal with it to have uh, discernment and propriety in how you're going to deal with a particular problem. Um, And that is true of any relationship. You know, if I'm if I'm having an issue with my wife, I'm not going to get my Bible out and say this right here is why you should never do that again. Um, because I care about her and I don't want to hurt her, uh, does the issue need to be resolved? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, most of the time it probably goes the other way because I'm the one that's messed up. But um, <laughs> there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And most of the verbal arguments that we have, like any couple, uh, comes from the fact that one or both of us hasn't taken the soft approach. And sure. Uh, that's probably true in a in a, uh, a church setting as well. Would you say so? Sure. I think one of the keys, looking back, that uh, has really helped me is to identify and remember on a on a moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day basis, is that who am I accountable to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not accountable to the body, as uh, as far as scripturally speaking. Uh, I am accountable to the head of the church. And so it is his will that I am to see worked out, not the will of the body, not the will of the people. And sometimes the will of the people and the will of God will clash. Many times it will. And it's my job to help them navigate through that water 
And the best way that I can help them to navigate is to help them to get mature to the point where they understand his will and they understand his plan so that they too are not self-willed, but they are God-willed or God-following and Christ-following and living in who they are in Christ. And so by me remembering who I answer to and who I steward for, this is not my heritage. This is God's heritage. Mm-hmm. This is not my church. It's Christ's church. Right. Uh, these are not my people. They're his people. Uh, so I need to conduct myself in a way that is like Christ. And Jesus, he had some hard statements and he had some hard things, but he never got in somebody's face and, and made them change. Mm-hmm. And so we can't just get in somebody's face and make them change. We need to show them why they need to change. We need to present them with the truth and let the Holy Spirit be the agent of change in the church and in the individuals. And so, so as goes the individuals, and ideally, so goes the men of the church, so goes the church. And so uh, that's why I've made a, a concerted effort to focus on leading the men to be men of God. And mm-hmm. so as I lead the men, then they are equipped to lead their families. Mm-hmm. And as they lead their families, now the church is being led by godly folk and by men and women who are maturing and, and in the process of maturing. And that leads to a mature church. And when we have a mature church, are we going to have a lot of squibbling and squabbling or are we going to have unity and like-mindedness? And I think what we're seeing now is a moving towards like-mindedness and unity Mm -hmm. because there is an intentional and direct plan doing things decently and in order. And that unity isn't coming from everybody following Brian Stewart. No. Yeah, that, that unity is coming from the fact that everybody believes the same things because they've been taught through the process of discipleship. They all believe the same truths and the same concepts and are willing to move in the same way because there's an agreement and unity on the truth, not on the leader. And um, I know from personal experience, uh, from the different churches that I've been in, pastors that I've talked to, places that I've been, some of which had recently gone through splits, or the pastor that's currently there has talked to me in private about how uh, when he took the church, it was a post-split or whatever the case may be. And most of the time, those splits were caused because either somebody took authority that wasn't theirs or attempted to take authority that wasn't theirs, or the leader in that church tried to beat people into submission. And so now the pastor who's there has repair work to do because you've got people who are still not a believer in the authority of the pastor because the previous pastor was acting like a tyrant. Or you've got people who are still in that church that are still trying to assume authority that isn't theirs. And if you can take the word of God and teach people what the Bible says and say, hey, I'm going to stand on this and you can agree to stand on this with me or you can admit that you're not standing on scripture, you know, (laughs) and not, not, not in so many words, not that harshly, obviously, but when you just take the Bible and you say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, it kind of takes me and you out of the equation and people have to get mad at what the scripture says and that's a bad position to be in. Yes. Yeah, you don't, I, I wouldn't want to be in that position where it's like, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but, mm-hmm. and I've heard that a handful of times, but that's not what I believe, or that's not how we're going to do it, or 
whatever they want to follow that up with. And that just puts them in a pretty bad place because, you know, the judgment seat of Christ is coming. And although they're not going to have to answer for the sin, they will answer for the lack of service and the, and the lack of doing it according to God's will and his mm -hmm. plan. And so if you can get to the point where you understand the scriptures and you know and you're standing on scripture and you're rightly dividing it, not, not uh, manipulating it for your own will or your own purposes, but simply following the direction and the model that Christ gives us. And that's the whole goal here is to see to it that we're doing this in a scriptural model, not in a model that man has come up with. Because as we see, when we come up with things and we make it quote unquote better, it isn't better. It, it, it brings about a lot of uh, consequences. Uh, it's like taking medicine. Medicine might be nice, but if it's not necessary, there's a whole lot of side effects mm -hmm. that come with it. And why would you want to take medicine that isn't necessary yeah. when your body is healthy? And so a healthy body is, in speaking about the church, is one that follows Christ as the head. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, he's going to build his church. And what do I need to do? I need to focus on his righteousness, and I need to focus on furthering his kingdom. And when I do that, and I let him build his church, then he's he's a capable builder. He, he's got the power. He's got the resources. He's got the know-how. And when he builds it, it's something that will stand the test of time, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, he promises. And so I just want to really be a steward, as you said early in uh, the, uh, I think it was the last uh, episode or a couple episodes ago when we talked about necessities, you said, we're just servants. And so if we remember that we're servants and we have a stewardship to answer for, it will cause us to not want to handle God's people and his church in a rough or roughshod way, but in a way that will be pleasing to the master. Yeah. And let me ask you this. And there may be some young pastors listening to this or older pastors listening to this, and they have a heart to transition their church to be modeled after the way that Christ and, and Paul did in, in discipleship. And they want to disciple people and they have an idea about how they want to do that, but they just aren't sure about how to go about making that transition from the way they've either done it for years or the way the church has done it for years. And now they're the pastor. Um, how would you, what advice would you give to that person who's wanting to make a transition from the method that they've done it for, or the church has done it for a long time, and they're wanting to make a transition into patterning their ministry after the discipleship model that we've kind of gone through? How would you give them, what, what advice would you give them to making that transition? I think the, the first and foremost, you need to make sure that you are following the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And you are doing this according to what God is showing you in his word. That's where, that's how he led me to this position, to this place. And so he is very capable of giving you the wisdom and knowledge and putting you in relationship with people that will help. I didn't get here by myself. Uh, yeah, I, I, had the, I walked with the Spirit. I had the word of God. But I also had two ministers, two pastors that really took me under their wing and showed me how to disciple others mm -hmm. and uh and it was because of these two men that had really poured their ministry and and what god had taught them into me and then me realizing really what my role as pastor was 
because although I had a pastoral theology degree from a college that is respected within our circles, I did not understand the role of the pastor. I didn't understand it. I understood it as uh, the corporate uh, incorporated CEO. I understood it as the overseer of the deacons meetings and, and the guy that oversees the calendar and, and mm-hmm. the one who's supposed to stand in the pulpit and, and, and preach messages uh, throughout the week. But I didn't understand pastor as somebody who was going to intentionally f- feed every member of the flock and how can we accomplish that? Because if the church is more than 20 or 30 people, I can't sit down with every member every week and feed them. But I can teach them how to be fed so that after spending a year or two or three with them and teaching them how to what is necessary in understanding the foundations of the truths of the Word of God and their relationship with God and then teaching them how to study, now I've given them the equipment to go out and to actually uh, get the food from the source that I get it from, and that is from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God and to be able to rightly divide. And so what that does is it gives me the ability to minister in a real sense as a pastor, a shepherd, a, an overseer of God's flock. I'm able to do that to more people because why? I have more people that I have had the privilege of, of sharing with them how to do it mm-hmm. so that they can do it. And so that's ministers that are ministering to ministers. And a minister is not somebody who's in full-time service. Every believer is to be a minister of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Every believer is to be a minister of discipling uh, every other person that they lead to the Lord. And so ministry happens as the body ministers to itself and it ministers to the lost world around it. And to uh, then through giving and missions and church planting, we minister to the world at large. So, you know, the old adage is that you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Um but you can teach the horse where the water is. So uh, I think that's kind of, it's a colorful illustration, but it's an illustration of what you're, what you're saying is that like you, you, you didn't force people to be discipled. You know, you didn't force them to do anything. You just said, you know, I can take you to water or I can teach you how to find the water for yourself. Which one do you want to do? And, um, you know, you can't make ever make anybody drink, but if they're thirsty, they're going to. And, sure. uh, you know, and so I think that that's really good. I think that's good. Uh, and it, it's helpful to me as I'm thinking about, you know, it'll be different for me because I'll likely I'll be planting a church from scratch. At least that's the plan. And um, so it'll be a little bit different for me. But I am thinking about all of these people that I've met over the last year and a half of traveling. And pastor after pastor after pastor, and in some cases, I've had some of these men really open up to me and say, hey, this is this is where I'm at, and this is serious, and I don't know what to do, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what to do either, you know? (laughs) And I think it's good for people to hear from somebody, you know, that's been through a similar thing, and you're you're trying to—I think every pastor, if his heart's right, he has a heart to see his church advance and grow and— and see people mature and see the individual members of that church be able to reach others and disciple others and teach. And But how do you get there? And I think a lot of pastors are in that place where they don't, they, they know the truth themselves and they know how to give that truth to others. 
but they don't know how to transition a mindset that's already been developed and a culture that's already been developed within their church and transition it over. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that our a lot of us as pastors and and those anybody who has matured in Christ not having it done intentionally, not having it done in a systematic and a a decent and orderly fashion and it's something that we pick up along the way and and we learn this truth but we learn them out of a succinct order and we end up patch doing a patchwork and then we get there because God has walked us through and he's faithful and his truths don't go you know don't return to him void Mm -hmm. so when we are taught those things and we pick them up but we may do it over the course of 8 10 15 20 years the problem with that is we have not had a good example of how to get there. Mm-hmm. And we don't really even know how we got there outside of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But we don't, I mean, we couldn't sit down and map out this is the process by which I matured in Christ. Mm-hmm. And because I don't have that process and I don't have that example, it's tough for us to, to try and invent a wheel out of thin air or out of this murky, you know, kind of how did I get here? Well, I got here because I read my Bible and I prayed every day and I went to church and I got involved and I did this ministry, I did that ministry, and, and that's how I matured. And so that's how everybody else is going to mature. Well, a lot of people don't get it that way. There's a lot of people that don't end up towards maturity. We see that because we see a lot of church members that end up weeding out and they don't get matured. And I think it's because we've tried to, you know, we're in a position where if I don't have somebody example, and that's where these two pastors came to my aid, and they were uh, very close to me. They've been close friends throughout my years. And they said, Brian, here's how you do this. And, And they exampled it for me. And from that point on, I've been able to example it for others. And it's been neat to be able to watch because now I can say this is how you get to maturity mm-hmm. and these are the tools that we have to help you to get there. And again, what did Jesus say? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I can't make people fishers of men, but Jesus can. And so my job, my responsibility is to intentionally get people to understand how they are to follow him. And if I can put them on the path through putting them uh, in touch with their Heavenly Father, through putting them in touch with their, uh, with their uh, Holy Spirit and the Word of God and prayer and, and dealing with sin and all of these other things that He's taught us in an intentional way, now the stewardship of their life can be what? Following Christ and for a purpose of what? So that He can make them into the fishers of men that He wants them to be. That's really good. And I, th- I think that's a great place for us to drop off because, um, you know, what you just hit there is essentially the entire function of what a teacher of Scripture is supposed to do, right? Um, because we didn't write the Scripture. But what we can do is we can point them to the one who did write the Scripture. And um, and that is essentially the entire function of a discipler and a pastor is to say, okay, this is a body of truth that I've been given, and I'm going to take that truth, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to teach you how to find more truth for yourself. And um, and so that, that, that's great. And I, I hope this has been a help um, to pastors, church planners, people uh, who may be dealing with, especially in, in, a, in the United States. Like, if you're, tra- if you're planning a church in the United States right now, 
you know, I, I pray for you because it's it, you're dealing with a, a country that has a church culture, even if they've never been in church before. And, you know, there's a certain culture about church people and what Christians do. And some of that is wrong. And a good part of it might be wrong. Um, and so there's some things that you got to deal with. And if you're a pastor of a church and you've been pastoring the same church for quite a long time, and this is something that the Lord's putting on your heart now um, to do, then again, I pray for you because it's not, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. But I think that I hope this has been a help for you. And I pray that it will be a help for you. And I know it's been a help for me just sitting back and taking a look and saying, okay, um, these are some things that you're going to have to deal with. And this is how a pastor who's been through some of these things dealt with it. And so um, I pray that it's a help to you. And if this has been a help to you in any way uh, as, as a preacher, or as a pastor, or even if you're just a, uh, somebody in the church who's taking the time to disciple somebody, if this has been a help to you, share it with somebody else who it can be a help to as well. Uh, because, you know, it, it, none of this truth that we're giving out is anything new. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, so it's not like this is original content or that we are some kind of great masterminds of uh, the universe of influencing people. Um, but if it's been a help to you, then take it and use it for yourself. Share it with other people. Don't credit me. I don't care. Um, but use it and share it. And uh, my, my pastor often says that he doesn't say things. Um, he doesn't say things to be understood. He says things to be repeated. And um, so I think it's, it's important that you share the things that you learn. So if this has been helpful. Please, please share it. Uh, share the podcast, let other people listen to it. And uh, I hope it's been a help and encouragement to you. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you again uh, next week. Pastor Stewart, do you have something to say? I would, I would like to say just uh, to those pastors that may be going through the thick of it, or you are dealing with a, a situation in a church. And if there's anything that uh, I can do to help you be an encouragement to you, please reach out to us through our email and uh, let me know if there's a prayer request that we can pray for you yes, please. about. Uh, we would love to do that. Uh, I am certainly not, I don't know, I don't know a lot of things. I do know some things, and those things are what I'm willing to share. And uh, I would love to be a help and encouragement to those pastors or those believers that are uh, struggling. And if we could be a help in any way, please feel free to reach out to us through our email. And Simeon will give that here in just a moment. All righty. Well, thank you again so much for ta- uh, for taking a listen. And uh, if you have any questions or comments uh, in the outro here, I'll go ahead and give you the email and the Twitter account. You can reach out to us those ways. Thank you again so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On the next episode, we're going to be discussing the different functions people can fulfill in the church. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please like, share, and subscribe.